passionate about the environment and driven towards the cleaning and restoration of the health of one of Johannesburg's biggest water resources through innovation and education. With us today on Call to Surf is Romy Stander, the co-founder of Water for the Future NPL. When I was 18, I went to go live overseas in a gap year. I worked as an au pair in Paris, and then I ended up, long story, but I lived in England and Europe, and I worked in the States for about seven or eight years. And then I came back to South Africa because I just missed South Africa. And yeah, there's no other country like this. No, yeah. yeah. And my idea at that point was to start a handmade craft business, which mm. I did do. Um, I was located next to Deep Slurt Township. I lived mm. on a piece of land there where the Deep Slurt Mall is now. Yeah. And I worked with a group of gogos and young ladies and we mm. did the crocheting of plastic. Because yeah. I, I think almost 20 years ago I realized how bad, you know, these these things are that we consume and discard yeah. and, and the effect it has on the planet in a negative way. Mm. And because I've always been interested in design, I was designing products that used these raw materials. Mm. So upcycling um, the crochet plastic bags, yes. the shop right yes. things. Yes. And I ended up designing a very high end range of handbags mm -hmm. that sold all around the world. Wow. But I was very naive when I did this run, ran this business in 2010. Mm. And I was funding it with money that I was earning with my full time job. Mm. And it crashed and burned really badly. <laughs> <laughs> expensive lesson, I'm sure. Yeah, but such valuable lessons. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a very special time for me that I'll never regret. Mm. And what I learned in yeah. that phase of my life. And through that, I also just realized I needed to get a full-time job, yeah. <laughs> you know, and pay back the debt I'd, I'd made and get back on my feet. And, yeah, mm. I built my professional career in the interior design mm. business for hotels. I used to do um, interiors for Sun International, Radisson and Legacy. Yeah. Very, very hard work. Mm. Also learned an incredible amount. Mm. Especially for such established hotel groups. Yeah. yeah. And, and with those I worked all over Africa, Nigeria, Angola, Mozambique mm. and Dubai and I um, realized through those projects that my heart really belonged to working in in interiors that were considered meaning who made this thing yeah. how much were they paid were yeah. they fairly uh, yeah, remunerated yeah. yeah and what was the repercussion of this thing on the environment you yeah. know like so it was during like the last years where i felt like i couldn't do this sort of work where things were imported from China and India mm. and made to all look the same because yeah. the aesthetic was always, you know, hundreds of hotel rooms that were exactly like mm. identical to each other. Um, that did not make my heart sing and mm. I was yearning to work again in the handmade mm. and support this wealth of, 
of talent and skill that exists in our own country. Yeah. And um, I was just very lucky through friends that were also in the creative industry. They introduced me to a, a, a lovely woman um, who's, she sort of curates the design aesthetic for Nando's. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, I had multiple interviews and I waited a year. And eventually I got a job with Nando's yeah. um, to work for them in their community projects around handmade craft, mm. both here and in Mozambique. And I've been working for them this year for five years. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. And yeah. especially, it's difficult right now because of the whole lockdown, COVID, debate. Yeah. It's rather difficult on the economy. So. I think you're doing a good job for still having a job, basically. Exactly. I mm. feel so incredibly blessed that I still have a job and my employers have looked after me so well during all this time. Yeah. And they've also given me the freedom to spend my time working on this project. It's not a Nando's project as such, but I pitched the idea four years ago, mm. um, very naively not having an idea or any ecological oh, background, no. <laughs> I mean, I haven't studied this, I didn't go to university. It's yeah. just from reading. I read a lot, especially newspapers mm. and books. I'm fascinated by popular culture. Yeah. And the environment, like I've explained, has always been very in, like, important to me. Mm. And yeah, through my um, own research, I came to learn what I did and then I presented my idea of wanting to clean this daylight point of the Yixke River. And Nando's um, shareholders said that I was welcome to do this, but obviously it, wasn't, it couldn't be a main focus because mm. um, I have multiple other projects. Mm. But finally, through lockdown, this, this almost has become my main focus and mm. you know we've built a lot of momentum for the project yes. and my work in Mozambique has been on hold for obvious reasons yeah. and you know that's all slowly starting to gear up again mm. and that's fine because the project here on site is also getting to a point where it's it's actually managing itself no well full-time and then lastly um, I live in the area and I've uh, bought my house here three years ago mm. And before that, I lived in Kensington, but um, so just living in the area has has really had a huge impact on why this work is so important to me as well. So what we've been doing since 2017 is cleaning the source of the Yuxke River, yeah. um, actually where daylight. Mm -hmm. So the area that we're focusing on is the pilot study area. And daylight means when the river comes up from underground for the first time and yeah. sees the light and <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So at this point where it daylights, it's extremely toxic. There are numerous pathogens, disease causing pathogens in the water. And that is mainly caused by the sewage yeah. that is seeping into it because of failing infrastructure. Yeah. And also, uh, dumping, illegal dumping, and, and the community, unfortunately, and various other people that maybe drive through the area come and throw things where there's access points. Yeah. So what happens when this Yuxke daylights? Um, it's, it is immediately forced into a canal, and that is based on what was built here, I'd say, almost a hundred years ago. Mm. Um, 
before this daylight point, um, the, the pure source of the Yuxke is underneath Ellis Park. And there are a few eyes of the Yuxke because this whole area back in the day used to be wetlands. Mm. So um, uh, my colleague Haneli Kutsia, who was one of the founders, yes. she last year, just before the big summer rainfalls came, walked in this canal with the JMPD and the head of operations for stormwater and other, um, how can I say, catchment experts. A catchment is the area you give to where the water flows based on gravity. Yes. Yeah. And they walked through um, uh, the, the system to where they found the, the source, source of one of the eyes, okay. and they took a sample and uh, submitted it to a professional water laboratory and they confirmed that that was uncontaminated. So there was no E. coli, meaning poo-poo, yeah. <laughs> in the water. So that to us, um, Haneli at the time, she said it was almost like finding gold again in yeah. Joburg, you know? And, and South Africa being a water scarce country, it's, 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 it's life, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So it yeah. was very special and to us a, another signal that we're on the right path, mm. there is hope. And that is the point, um, the space here where we are based um, is so close to this daylight point that we feel very strongly that there are ways to clean it up so that communities and the environment further down can yes. benefit from a restored water source. Mm. So now your line of work right now, which is uh, Water for, for Future Project, the, the NPO, it, it, it includes protecting the environment and wildlife. So what, I wouldn't say what, what had you interested in pursuing this career because it's not necessarily your career, but it's, it's a passion project. So how great was the scale of impact that it had on you with regards to seeing people that live here, uh, the poverty and also the water that we drink. It, it's sourced from rivers that are around here in Joburg. So what, what led to that? Sure. Um, I mean, yes, this area is very poor, you mm. know, and there's, there's, there's not a lot of jobs. Um, there's various cultures, many different um, African people, mm -hmm. um, children, old people. You know, it's a big hodgepodge of all sorts of people, yeah. walks of life. Um, I think what motivates me to to make this difference or to fix the environment or to bring it back let's say to restore it mm. is because i know how good i feel when i've spent time in nature and how it how restorative it is it's mm. almost like it resets you you feel invigorated you feel mm. good again you know you forget all those stresses that you have yeah. and i think the value that a green corridor especially in the context of this poor area and the job creation and tourism and all these other um, positives that could come this way mm. are very inspiring and, and those are the sort of things that keep me going mm. and can you paint a picture of your experience when you first started out cleaning <laughs> up and then trying to restore the source of the Duke's River so can you just give us 
just describe it as best as possible, you know. You can <laughs> include the eels of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's lots of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to say, like, we're very far from having clean water yeah. in this project, you know. I almost feel like after four years, we're starting to see the tip of the iceberg mm. of how we're going to fix it, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but yes, it's it's been sometimes so gross and mm. like so and I've been so I laugh at myself so much for thinking how naive and stupid I've been you mm. know like but you learn you're constantly learning and yeah. you're grateful sometimes that you maybe didn't win funding or get a grant because if you'd been given that money and you did X and Y with that money it wouldn't have maybe been the right thing and you mm. know it's always that that funny situation where Sometimes it's good not to get what you want mm. immediately or yes. the way you think. You know, yes. life always provides the way that it should. You can't tell yeah, how it yeah. should happen. So, I mean, when I started, I thought I was going to walk around with these black bags, you know, like you see all the, I'm going to go clean the river. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. no, uh, it wasn't at all like that. Because of how it's uh, situated or where it's located in this culvert and it's so high up and... Also through my research, I googled and I found this article titled um, Searching for the Soul of the Yixke that was mm. written by this man called Sean Christie. Yeah. And in that article, he mentioned the name of a, a man called Paul Farrell, who was a wetland remedian, remediation expert mm. and a water activist. Yeah. And this was an old wormy. Um, who was in a uh, I phoned him yeah. and said could I come and see him because I had this idea <laughs> yeah. and he was this chairman of the Yixke committee for years mm. and then he was in an old age home and he was in a wheelchair he was wheelchair bound because he'd lost some of his toes from wading through toxic rivers his whole life wow. yeah he's an amazing old man so I used to just go sit with him like, mm. every few weeks or once a month and mm. he would just share his knowledge with me, but <laughs> he would start talking about the comet that hit the planet like <laughs> seven billion years ago, and I was like, "Wormy, please, like <laughs> fast forward." I'm like on a timer, yeah. yeah. So uh, he was just so sweet, um, and he was the one who guided us very early that this is where you must start. You must get the expert scientific reports mm. that give you an understanding of the status quo. Mm. So there was obviously a cost associated with that. And, you know, he said you need a hydrologist and you need an aquatic ecologist and you need a sensitivity audit, which means the people will come and write how many types of invasive plants, you know, like this whole list. Yeah. And the value of getting that set of data versus, because um, we needed to compare that with the city's archives. Yes. That value was 350,000. Yeah. So then I went and I presented. Sure. Just got stressed. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money. So, but I presented it to the board of Victoria Yards and Nando's. Mm. And yeah, they decided to fund 5050. Mm. They supported the idea of going about that's this. Amazing. Yeah, and that's how we actually started. But the you stories, there's lots of those. <laughs> I mean, depending on which part you walk, you know, um, first you have to understand things. You can't just judge, I think, you know. Yeah. Like, so a lot of people go behind the wall at the daylight point and they, they do their business. Mm. 
Yeah. And, you know, walking over that and around that, I was like, yes, you know, <laughs> like really, <laughs> not for the faint-hearted, but then you ask yourself, okay, like, why are people using the toilet here? You mm. know, and then you have to say to yourself, well, well where are the public toilets? Or, yeah. or, or you know, we yeah. need to look at this issue. So yeah. that was like one thing that was quite <laughs> breathe. Yeah. And I mean, this water stinks so bad. It depends on what the day is like or how hot it is or who's flushed what down there. It's disgusting. I mean, sometimes I'm like, again, <gasps> 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 a bit. You have like a strong stomach. <laughs> not <laughs> always. <laughs> and, you know, we've like picked up a lot of rubbish and mm. that rubbish is dirty on the on the banks you know it's mm. contaminated um and yeah you see things like people throw dead dogs and then you ask yourself but why have they thrown the dogs there like I, I know the spca does the best they can yeah. but uh, you know it's education around well how do you discard of a dead animal mm. you know and there's also a respectful way of doing that and by the looks of things it doesn't look like the current is very strong on this side of the river. Well, where we at, no. Mm -hmm. But you see, also when you have the summer rainfalls being in Gauteng, yeah. that what you saw mm -hmm. can be up to two, three meters high in minutes when we wow. have those downpours. It's like a freight train, like a tsunami. It just goes. <laughs> and I always think it's really good because it's almost like. Um, how can I say? It's like I think I feel like it's cleaning the city. It's like flushing yeah. all this rubbish out. Wow. Yeah, but and then you've got the legal toilet connections, you mm. know, that don't go in sewers, that just go directly in it. Mm. All sorts. I'm not going to make you feel sick. <laughs> so understanding that uh, to restore a wide spanning river and quite wide and long, it, it takes quite a lot, you know, and it also involves creating eco displays. So what uh, what led to it? Okay, um, well, as I explained, um, those scientific reports yes. from the experts, mm -hmm. that had a huge impact on how we decided to clean this river, where to start. Mm -hmm. And um, we just always felt that it's very important that we respect the experts, yes. you know. And because a river touches on so many different parts of society and the environment, mm. um, you, you have to look at this holistically. You can't just focus on one thing at a time, you yeah. know? You need to understand how they all impact each other. So, um, we, once all the scientists had m uh, finalized their reports, we had a big forum where we invited them all to present their findings mm -hmm. and we invited key city officials from various departments mm -hmm. and other relevant community sort of change makers and uh, people who are working in are working in urban agriculture community concerns and mm -hmm. you know so we had a and, and business so we had this room full of people um, that had a vested interest in what was happening in this area. Yes. And so then all the experts presented their findings. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the day, <laughs> it was quite a downer. We were, because a lot of the people were very defeatist. Mm -hmm. Thinking like, because also still to this day, a lot of people think like it's impossible to fix this because yeah. it's so polluted. And mm -hmm. the amount of money that people think is needed to fix the some of the problems, right? Yes. 
But um, I'll never forget we were very lucky because there was one person um, that we'd met through an eco districts workshop um, that we were invited to by the city that was hosted at Con Hill. And this man, um, he's based in America, and not that we're looking to abroad for yeah. answers, but on that day, um, his name's Pete Monos, he works for a company called Biohabitats. Mm. He was just like that one glimmer of hope, yes. who said, you know what, this is where you can start to unpack this whole thing. And he really f focused on the people element, right? Yeah. Yeah. and community activations and also the necessity for a catchment plan a catchment mm -hmm. management plan meaning mm -hmm. you know based on where the hills and the copies are because we're in the lowest point of this valley yes. how does the water flow due to gravity so that is the catchment mm -hmm. and we are in the upper Yuxke catchment as you mentioned this is a very long and, and, and river and it's yeah, wide it changes so this specific part of the Yuxke, mm -hmm. we are focusing on in context of Bruma Lake. So Bruma Lake okay. is the next sort of water body, big water body. Yes. And from there it goes via Galulis to Alexandra Township. Mm. So everything we fix here will greatly help and improve the quality of the Bruma nature, Lakes. the water, everything yes. further downstream. Mm. And so by always having these experts and city officials that we really appreciate, you know, their guidance and input mm. and and just the business owners and the land owners that are all on board, they've given us their consent, you know, we have this in writing. Yes. We feel very supported on our journey and um, we then decided because no one in that entire forum could really say to you this is step a this is b this is c yes. we just decided as water for the future as the group you know yes. spearheading this project that we're going to approach it just practically like mm. me you everyone can understand why we're doing this first why yeah. we're doing that first and so actually the source is much more important than the entire body because it feeds everything else yeah you know? Well, mm. I mean, I feel like everything's equally important, but we need to start here. And yeah. it was just interesting and serendipitous that it started here at the daylight point because, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, this it starts here and it ends in Shai Shai, Mozambique, yeah. in the Indian Ocean. Mm. And as Johannesburgers, we are intercontinental polluters. So mm. meaning all the water that flows this way goes to the Indian Ocean and all the water that goes on the other side of the to hill the goes to Atlantic mm. yeah and um, so where we at we decided that the first big step and practical step would be to do a big um, alien invasive plant removal program and that we did through uh, open public tender and we recruited a lovely team um, called NMC projects mm. And they've done a lot of work for Working for Water in Gauteng and the Department of Environmental Affairs. And alongside them, who were skilled and, you know, had a lot of experience in that mm -hmm. field, we also recruited young people through Harambi's informal job sector yeah. from the area. And as a team, we all worked on site for two weeks nonstop. And the clearing and all that that you saw on site mm -hmm. is the um, 
the end result but then we did another weeding um, for a month um, after December because with the rains and all those invasive plant species in the seed bed it grew up to like shoulder height and now that's why we're planting those high felt grasses to stop that regrowth coming mm. now considering <coughs> the massive size and then <coughs> as we've just spoken about of the UXK now initiating this cleanup is a huge responsibility now with regards to maintenance how big of a of a plan is it in keeping it clean and healthy as well considering that uh, water can be clean but unhealthy you know yeah so y because um we we you know we're always applying for funds mm. and um at the moment you know e everything is done on a shoestring yes. um so we really do the best with what we have um it's a lifelong commitment you know you can't say you clean and then you walk away mm. but what we've done on site is we've maximized uh, the impact um, so that the next phase of the project which will be an engineering phase because now all those groups who do who who understand like how pipes and the water flows in them and like you know the that mm. engineering part of stuff yes they need to come in and that's another cost that we're only going to understand maybe in a year's time because they're going to have to do assessments and mm. proposals and then we're going to have to sit with the city because a lot of interventions like they're going to have to build things that the water will go through mm. there's lots of different things to so look at the canals and the direction or the flow of the canals and also preventing people from throwing stuff in the air yes so so there's so many things and that monitoring station that mm. i showed you also yes. that information that is gathered from that station is informing all these very key decisions the mm. catchment management plan mm. and um what the engineers will do because when that water comes through the canal so fast yeah. that's what they're trying to measure because mm. you can't put anything in there because that water is so strong as a body mm. it c can wash away things completely mm. so that's why it's like all of these things are feeding a big plan that is yeah. working on multiple levels interesting very interesting now Former statistician general, um, I'm just going to paraphrase him, but Dr. Padil Khosha once said that uh, the appalling conditions of the environment contributes towards poverty, and in retrospect, so does poverty. Now, in addition to sewage causing pollution, what else do you continue to find that is the major contributing factor towards the pollution of the UPSK, especially from the source? Well, I strongly believe, and this also I think I've learned through the world that my experience up until now in interior design. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter how beautiful an artwork is on a wall. If you're sitting here and it stinks, mm. the air stinks, yes. you know, it's not going to make you, you... It doesn't matter that piece of art for that moment in time. Yes. For me, it's very important to get to the source of what the problem is. Mm. And, you know, if you see a pile of rubbish, it attracts more rubbish. But if you clean there and you maybe water the grass 
then you'll notice slowly next to it the grass someone will start looking after that and looking after you know and that sort of pride in place and respect for where you eat or where you work or where you walk to work or mm. where you live has a massive impact on your mental state yes. and your health you know and I feel like cleanliness is a start and that's why water is so precious because nothing can be truly clean mm. if it's if you don't use water yeah. and I feel you know by cleaning ourselves also you you respect yourself that you smell nice and mm. fresh you know and I think we all just need to start remembering like how important it is don't throw the piece of paper out of the out of the mm. car so it's actually yeah. just as the, the Gauteng government once had the whole keep Gauteng clean yeah. initiative so, yeah. so that still needs to continue completely yeah and yeah. I just think people didn't really join as much as they could I think people are starting to more now especially mm. after COVID like environment and our health is people understand that these things they're not just going to be okay if we don't look after them like we yes. have to look after ourselves our environment mm. each other you know mm. and I just hope we can just slowly stop messing and yeah and yeah. <laughs> it's just if you look along the river a lot of people who don't have a home or you know they they go and they wash in this water because they don't have maybe mm. a shower that they can yeah. use or a bath and mm. you know and that's fine it's just that water is so dirty that they're washing in and mm. the diseases that they are picking up and how that's negatively affecting their health it's yeah. just it's, it's so sad mm. you know